0: Old Testament, the book of Ruth, chapter number two. This evening, I want to minister a message entitled Finding Grace in His Sight. Finding Grace in His Sight. Verse 10 is going to be our key verse, but I'm going to read the first 12 verses. book of Ruth. Chapter number two, beginning with verse one. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Limelech. His name was Boaz. Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. She said unto her, go, my daughter. She went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and her lot was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless you. Then said Boaz unto his servant that was set over the reapers, Whose damsel is this? servant that was over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. She said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and has continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my daughter, go not to glean in another field. Neither go from here, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. She fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldst take knowledge of me, seeing I'm a stranger? Boaz answered and said unto her, It has fully been shown me all that you've done to your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you left your mother and father in the land of your nativity, and are come unto a people which thou knewest not heretofore. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. This is a beautiful story. Ruth is a lady that captures our attention, fascinates us because of her activity and because of her faith in God. And to be quite honest with you, she's in this Bible because she's in the lineage of David. I don't know about you, but if I had to create a a plan of salvation, some kind of scheme of redemption, I don't know if I would have created this long, drawn-out process that God made but I'm glad he did because it's beautiful so far we have seen that this is a book about three things transitions relationships and providence the foresight of God to provide for you in your future before you even arrive to that particular place in your life Elimelech took his family and moved them to a country called Moab Calamity came. He died. Two sons died. But despite those tragedies, Naomi did not wave the right flag and surrender living. She told her daughter-in-laws, I'm going back home. I've heard that God is doing something there. And sure enough, she started for Bethlehem. One daughter returned and went back to her gods and her parents and Ruth clung to her. Beautiful thing. Ruth made it very plain to her, I'm not leaving you no matter what. In the last message, we left you with the thought that even when she returned to Bethlehem, it was harvest time, it was a time of joy and festivity. People were excited that they had something to harvest in the first place, but in the middle of that comes walking Naomi saying, do not call me Naomi, but call me Mara, meaning bitter. I went out full, of, have come back empty. And the last thought I gave you was that even when other people are rejoicing and other people are happy, If you're not careful, you can be the one that's bitter in the midst of all of the rejoicing people. So now we pick it up in chapter 2 with verse 1, and we're introduced to a man who's very important to this storyline, and his name is Boaz. The only description we have of him is that he's a mighty man of wealth. Some translations say a mighty man of valor. We certainly don't know what kind of valor or strength he may have manifested in his previous life but we do know that he's a man that owns lands and he's going to be courageous later on when he takes ruth to be his bride now this man had been part of naomi's family for a long time she knew who he was before they left before her husband died before her children died but now he's important to her story and he's important now to our story There are people that God brings into your life that you may have known for years, but they may not be important for your story at that particular point when you become acquainted with them, when you meet them, but somewhere down the line they may become important to your story, your testimony. Maybe you had somebody when you were growing up that, had mercy on you, took pity on you because of the circumstances of your life. Maybe you grew up without a whole lot of things, but maybe there was a family member that was wealthy that decided, you know what, I want to help you, I want to bless you, and they gave you two or $3,000 toward college, some kind of assistance. Somehow or another, you found grace in that person's sight. Maybe it was a, a difficult time in your life, and because of some kind of ailment or infirmity, That came to you or the death of someone so precious, so important to you. And you talk about being at your lowest point. Then somebody that you hadn't talked to or had a relationship with for a decade, for years, maybe. Then suddenly here they are back in your life again. And this is what happens in chapter two. He's introduced in verse one, but he doesn't come into the story for real until verse four. Scripture says in verse two that Ruth said to her mother, I need to go out in the field and get a job and help you. They were on their way back to Bethlehem. And this woman who has left her own mother and father, left her own land of birth, has in her mind, I am not going to go and squat and live on my mother-in-law, but I'm going to help my mother-in-law. And no sooner they got back to Bethlehem, here she was, said, "Uh, Mama, do you mind if I go out and try to get a job and maybe do something to help us have something around here? And Naomi didn't hold her back. The last sentence of verse two says, go, my daughter. She released her. Naomi doesn't know anybody. Excuse me. Ruth doesn't know anybody. The testimony is she's a stranger. That's the old English way to describe an immigrant. An alien, sometimes you see that word. She's in a foreign land with people that are somewhat different than her. She obviously understands some of the things about the culture because she's been living with her mother-in-law all of this time. But can you imagine that moment when she stepped out of that house and had to close that door and had no idea where she was going and started putting footprints down the little village streets to go to the outskirts where the farmers were just to look, if she, to see if she could become a day laborer. We don't have a lot of those here in America today, but if you go to certain places in Southern California and in the southern states, there still are places where just like back in the 20s and 30s, men would gather around a telephone pole and somebody would pull up in a truck and they'd say, I need so many workers for today and then just start pointing out people. This woman went walking up and down the roads looking for a place to work, help somebody on the farm. She was diligent, industrious. She was not the kind of a lady that even though she was a foreigner and here was a might have been a cliquish little village where everybody knew each other and they tried to keep the foreigners. out. She was not the kind of person that was intimidated by that. I need to eat. So I need to work. I need money. So I need to work. And mama and I can't live if I don't go out there and do something. So with what health I have. I'm going out here, and if I have to, I'm going to work in the fields. And some man knew who she was or heard the story from her lips about where she'd come from and who she was related to. And he said, Well, you can work in this field here. So that's what she started doing. She stayed in that field, and according to the man's testimony, she worked from morning until the rest of the day. So here comes Boaz. And he owned some property. And I love the greeting there in verse four. He didn't say, hello, how are you doing? He said, the Lord be with you. That was the greeting and their response or reply to the greeting. It was the Lord bless you. I, I, I like that. That's so much better than our own greetings. And maybe we ought to try that sometime. And learn that, memorize that. Somebody says to you, the Lord be with you. Then your reply would be the Lord bless you. I think that's a wonderful thing. Because you're signifying that you want God to be with someone. And you're signifying also that you want God to bless somebody else. Well, boy, as he, he's interested because it's his land. He likely knows the workers. It's like around here, most people know when somebody moves into town that's not originally from here, especially if you were raised here, and he inquires about that young lady over there. So who is that? And the young man told the story, the foreman told the story to Boaz. She's been with Naomi since Naomi's husband died, since her husband died, and they're like this. She's not leaving her no matter what. Now that's a good relationship. Mother-in-law and daughter-in-law become mother and daughter. The relationship in God transcends the bloodlines. And sometimes the people you worship God with, and sometimes the people you come to know in the kingdom of God, become closer to you than your own blood kin. Just because of your relationship with God. Worship of God. He hears what the man says regarding Ruth and he goes to Ruth himself and interviews her and talks to her and ministers to her and says these words, says, I've heard about what's going on. Don't go to any other fields. You stay right here in my field and follow the women that are working here. Now, now let's remember now Leviticus and Deuteronomy says, Every harvest time when you're out there working, you go through all the fields, but you leave the corners. You are not allowed to harvest the corners. The corners are for the widows, the orphans, the poor. And the stranger, the immigrant, you let them go out there and harvest the the, the corn and everything, but he said for her, he said, you can do something special. said, as the reapers are going back and forth through the fields, all the fields, not just the corners, but through the fields, you follow behind them, and he told those individuals, you let some handfuls of this grain fall on the ground on purpose. You make sure she gets it. Now, now why is he, he doing this? Because his heart has been touched by her story. That's what happened. He he, he heard the story and then the heart heart was touched and that's, that's how it should be with us. That's why we should tell our testimony. You should share your story, the testimony of God's grace and power in your life with other people and when you do that, it touches people to become a part of what you're doing. Remember, if we say with God's vision comes provision, somebody has to share the vision. If you want people to invest in your vision, you have to share the vision. People aren't mind readers. So if you're trying to start a business, then you get the investors and you say, look, this is what I'm trying to do. This is what I believe is going to happen. This is how I know it's going to work. And then if people hard are touched by that, then they'll say, OK, we'll give towards that. Now, in a common uh, common sense today in, a, in current uh, vernacular, the way we describe this, we'd say at harvest time, rather than someone working in the corners as the combine is going up and down the field, then the people can come behind the combine and everything that the combine misses or everything that the combine leaves behind, then you can pick up and you can take home. Now, you know as well as I do, these combines are pretty good, but they still leave a lot behind. So you're going to do fairly well if you're in a position to walk up and down the fields. This man's heart was touched because he heard the story of Ruth and as he... Explained to her, he said in verse 11, it has been shown to me all that you have done. This young lady found grace in Boaz's sight because of what she did. Don't tell me people aren't paying attention to how you treat others, how you treat widows, how you treat children. How you treat family and friends. People are watching and the testimony goes throughout the town and people know exactly what is taking place. So your life should be based on that. You want to live your life according to the Christian principles. Do what's right. But the difference between Boaz showing grace to Ruth because of what she did and the lives that we have as Christians, is that we find grace in the eyes of God, not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus did. His accomplishments on, the, on Calvary makes it possible for us to have access into the grace of God. That means that I do not get to heaven on the basis of what I do, but I do get there on the basis of what I am or who I am and who I'm connected with. Jesus Christ. Folks, if I thought for one second that I could do enough good deeds to get to heaven, Then I just do as many good deeds as I could to get to heaven. But because we understand it's a relationship with Jesus Christ that makes it possible for us one day to stand before the Lord and hear him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. We realize the only obligation we have is to believe. To believe. So that's, if you want to call that doing something. That's where it begins. It starts with belief. If you want to find grace in the eyes of God, believe on His son. So here's a very wealthy man. He shows grace to a woman that has nothing. Comes to a foreign country with nothing. Left the land of her birth with nothing. But suddenly the mighty man of wealth is making available to him the resources that he has accumulated through the years. You tell me that's not the story of Christ. Who has allowed us to be seated in heavenly places with him. We came to him just as we were. We weren't anything. We had nothing. The only thing that we were were empty possibilities. But one day, God looked at your life and he looked at my life and he said, that's a usable vessel right there. I'll pour my life into that individual and I'll do something great. But he requires us to remain in Boaz's field. Stay with God. Don't go down the road somewhere else and try to try to worship God as a Mormon. Don't try to become a Jehovah's Witness. Stay, stay in Boaz's field and the mighty person of wealth will bless you and you'll be able to enjoy the blessings of God. This is what the text is revealing. This is what the text is explaining. Now, remember. She found grace because of what she did in the past. We find grace because of what Jesus did in the past. We're saved on the basis of his accomplishment on the cross. His death is and was sufficient for all, but is and was only efficient for those who believe. There is no universal salvation. Somebody has to believe this. And out of that belief comes activity, deeds, exploits. We call them works sometimes. We're not saved by. Our works, but certainly works are a fruit of what you believe. So Tiff and I held a, a meeting one time down in Osborne, Kansas. Great meeting, church down there. And a friend of mine was telling me, he said, you know, Pastor Darius, I want you to pray for my dad. I said, Okay. What's going on with your dad? He said, my dad doesn't care anything about God. He won't talk about God. If we bring up the subject of God, he'll go to another subject. And he's just not interested in spiritual things. I said, okay, so what are we praying? He said, we not pray get saved. I said, okay. Well, that's what we prayed. Then he died. So... I said to my friend, I said, "Well, what what are you going to do?" He said, "Well, they're going to have it at such and such town, at at this big big United Methodist church." And he said, "I've got to go uh, there." And I mean, he's a preacher. And so I, I said to him, "Okay, I'm praying for you when you get there, because you're going to have the funeral and everything." So uh, after the the, the whole thing was done with he he called me we talked on the phone and I said well, how'd it go he said well he said I went to that pastor he said I sat down in the pastor's office big beautiful facility gorgeous sanctuary big spacious office for a preacher and he said I said to that pastor how are you going to preach my dad's funeral what are you going to say because he said my dad didn't care anything about God and even up to the end I tried to witness to him talk to him about God he just wasn't interested That pastor sitting in that chair, he looked at my friend. He said, you really think that your dad didn't go to heaven? He said he cut the grass here at the church for years. He cut the grass. That pastor honestly believed that because the man cut the lawn, that that made him a Christian, that he gained access to heaven, that he'd go to heaven on the basis of what he did, cutting the grass. Folks, we go to heaven because of what he did, believing in what he did. I mean, every summer there are kids out cutting grass for everybody. If we thought we'd earn salvation by cutting grass, I'd be out there helping the twins. I wouldn't miss a lawn. I mean, I'd cut the grass of people who didn't want their grass cut. <laughs> well, Pastor Darrell was just cut two hours ago. I don't care. I'm cutting it again. God's happy with that. See, if we believe that kind of a thing, our relationship with God says that he accomplished it at Calvary. We're connected with a mighty man of wealth. His name is Jesus. Our heavenly father owns the cattle on a thousand hills and God says, please stay in his fields. Don't go somewhere. Or follow behind his people. Stay with his people. Then after she heard those words from Boaz, I love her humility because she recognizes that She's not anybody at all in this man's sight. She's certainly not a peer. She says to him, how is it that I found grace in your eyes, seeing I'm but a stranger? That's what she says. I'm an an immigrant, not even a citizen of your country. What have I done to become a beneficiary of this kind of favor, of grace? undeserved love and mercy compassion he says it's because of what you did with your mother-in-law and verse 12 says the lord recompense your work and a full reward be given to you from the god of israel under whose wings you are come to trust that's another blessing his verbal blessings are powerful they are powerful may the, the the lord give you a full reward you know what he's saying? He said, I, I pray you have more than enough. A great abundance. You, you've come with nothing. You're standing here talking to me and you have absolutely nothing. But I want you to have a full reward. But I'm not just saying it with my mouth. I'm actually going to go out of my way and try to help it come into fruition. He says to his workers, you make sure she gets some extra portion. Now that's that's beautiful. If you've been a recipient of blessings from other people, then you want to be the kind of person that blesses other people. If you've been in a position where you did not have what you felt was sufficient for the things that you wanted to do and somebody in turn blessed you, then when you look and you find somebody else that's having a difficulty, you do the exact same thing and help them. Yeah, and you'll find that when you do that, People are really pleased. I think that's why those good folks over there in Kenya, those pastors, they're excited about the, the little bit of finances that we send over there. Out of the resources, out of the abundance of what God has given to you and blessed you with, when we send hundreds of dollars over there and help them out with a salary or help them out with their food or they have a little bit extra money for Christmas to be able to buy a kid, whether it's just a toy or even have, have meat for a meal, folks. I'm telling you, those, those folks are grateful. So what do they do? They, in turn, bless their people. So if God blesses us to be a blessing, then we expect this kind of fruition to continue. Not only in our lives, in the sense where we receive it, but we continue to give it. That's how God wants it. God wants to give it to us, but He has to get it through us. We're supposed to be a river, not a lake. It's supposed to flow through us, not be dammed up on the inside, but to flow through us. That's what abundance is. Look up the word in the lead. It has to do with the flow of blessing in a river. That's what God wants. So then let me say this then. She's so excited. She's out there grabbing everything she can, putting it in her skirt, putting it in a sack. I don't know how she's gathering all this stuff up, but I do know at the end of the day she's got to make her way home. And I'm telling you, that trip home was a whole lot better than that first step she took out the door to find a job. Because she left empty, she's coming home full. See? Remember what Naomi said? I left full, but I came home empty. It's all in reverse now because of the blessing of the Lord. And, and, and Naomi, I mean, she, she probably heard a little girl at the door. Ruth come through that door. And she, how was your day? Ruth said, I can't wait to tell you how my day was. Wow. She walked over there to that table, unloaded that sack or threw her skirt up there and all that blessing fell out on the table. And Naomi said, wow. God has been good. That's what I'm trying to tell you. And so you got to sit down. Let me let me tell you the story of how this all happened. And you know how ladies get when they sit down, when guys sit down and tell a story, they just say, well, you know, we went out, found a job today. God blessed. And here I am. But ladies, I mean, they're all in detail. They're cutting each other off as they're trying to tell a story. And let me tell you about this. And then this happened at 9 o'clock. Then 9.30, 9.45, 10.15, this happened. Then the other person gets, all all of that's going on back and forth. And and Naomi hears all of this, and, and she hears the name Boaz. And when she hears that name Boaz, the light goes on because she knows he's a family member. Yeah. A kinsman. So she's wondering now, if this man has opened up his fields and opened up his heart to Ruth, I wonder what this can mean. I tell you one thing it does mean. It means that the day that Ruth left that house, going to that field, God was directing her steps. Naomi said, whatever you do, Ruth, you stay in that field. This is a God thing. This is God. I'm going to tell you another reason I like this story, and I think this one is probably the most powerful reason for me enjoying this story. It's, It's because when she closed the door or left the house or however that worked out, and she went up the road and got a job and came back. She had no idea that her steps were being ordered by God so precisely. See, we, we have a tendency to, to dwell on coincidental things. But folks, when you're a Christian, we don't deal in coincidences, we deal in providence. Yeah. We deal in the provision of God, the end already fixed in the beginning. Before she left the house that morning, God already had the field chosen. She just had to simply get out there and start walking. It's true. that's, That's what this is all about. Now, she could she could say or anybody could say, well, it was her decision to get out there and go look for a job and go do this and stay there and work all day and sweat and go through all of that. Fine. That's true. But you know what? It's still God, the one that put her out there on that path. And touched her heart to stay with her mother-in-law. And as Boaz says, to dwell under the wings of the God that she's come to trust to receive the full reward. The full reward doesn't come until we do what God wants us to do by faith. Yeah. Then God orders our steps. 125 years ago, 150 years ago, Jay Gould was one of the wealthiest men in America. Made millions of dollars. Building railroads. Well, this gentleman lived on the East Coast, and one time in his life, he had some business on the West Coast, so he took a train all the way out to the Pacific States. Once he was done, he took the train back. He took the southern route going through Texas. As he was going through Texas, the train, train's engines were having some problems, so they, they, the conductor had to stop in a certain town. Well, they said the train's gonna be worked on for a little while several hours so you guys want to get off the train you can do whatever you want to do so he gets off the train decides okay this is a little small town so i'll just walk up and down the roads and kind of see what these little towns are all about so sure enough he was walking through the little village came up to the town square went down the side street saw a bunch of people standing on the corner and he wondered what that crowd was about he walked over there to the crowd and it's an auction they got there just in time when the auctioneer was shouting out 1475, 1475, who will give me 1475, and so on and so on. It was stuck at 1475. And Mr. Gould asked one of the gentlemen in the crowd, said, what is up for auction? They said, this church right here. He said, the church? He said, yeah, he said, the contractor built it, the church ran out of money, they didn't have any money to give him. That contractor needs his money, so they are auctioning off the building and so Mr. Gould, wanting to help the sale, he went up higher. He said $1,500, well, but nobody else bidded after that. They didn't know who he was, but just nobody else went to 1500 So the auctioneer said sold. And they started working over there on the bill of sale and everything. Three gentlemen standing off a little bit of ways, a little distance away from the crowd, they asked Mr. Gould, they said, uh, we just want to know what you plan on doing with the church. You know, millionaire, mighty man of wealth, he's not used to people asking him questions about anything. He does. He says, well, whatever I do with the church, what is it to you? The three gentlemen said, well, what it is to us is that this has been our church and our congregation is in the sanctuary right now with the preachers and elders. And they're on their knees praying that God would divinely intervene for us in this situation about the money that we don't have. And. He said they asked us to come out here to be in the midst of the crowd just to see how this is going to be handled. He said that's what it is to us. Well, he told the story. The mighty man of wealth his heart was touched. That man wrote the turned the deed right over to the church. The three men went in there. The church, of course, by now they kind of know what's going on. So everybody's rejoicing and praising God and giving the Lord the, the, the glory and everything like that. Mr. Gould goes back to his big office on the East Coast, big high rise building and all of that. And the church sits down and writes him a letter of thank you for for, for being used by God. Now, nobody knew if this man was a Christian. Nobody knew if this man knew anything about the Lord, had a relationship with the Lord. But they said to his dying day when people were coming in his office, his most prized possession was not a million dollar bond that he had. But that letter he received from that church. But but here's the thing that strikes me about that story. He's coming back to the East Coast and he gets on that train. The engine problems begin on that train at just the right time. The train stops in the right town, at the right time. He gets off of the train and starts walking up the road at the time the auction is taking place. And he gets there right at the time when they're at 1475. Now you can explain that or describe that any way that you want, but I guarantee you those folks on their knees in that church call it a miracle. See A miracle. The steps of a good man ordered by the Lord. And sometimes they're ordered by the Lord because people are praying. People pray. <clears throat> Even unbelievers can be used by God. If people are on their face talking to God. So folks, that's what I wanted to tell you this evening. You have found grace in in God's sight. But when you leave here tonight and you go to work tomorrow and you do whatever you're going to do all this week, don't ever forget that as you're putting one footprint in front of the other, even if your life seems monotonous or difficult or you don't even understand what the future holds, just remember, there's somebody up there knows exactly where you're going. And there will be people that will cross your path to be a blessing to you. You just have to be willing for that. Had I never gone to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, I would have never met that girl right there. Had I never gone to Baton Rouge, Louisiana and met that girl right there, I would have never met that family out of DeWitt, Nebraska, that invited me to come here. Eight days ago, a week ago yesterday, I started in Red Cloud. Eighteen years, folks. Nobody would ever be able to convince me that my steps hadn't been ordered of the Lord. And all the people that God has brought into our lives as we've ministered the word of God, people like you that we've met, some of you come from other states, other places, who would have ever thought, oh, my Lord, that our paths would intersect out here? Somebody would have told me when I was 17 or 18 years old as a little boy preacher that I'd be out in Nebraska one day after I'd gone to Japan, lived there, Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Peru, different places like that. If, if the Lord would have told me at 17, you're, you're going to end up out in Nebraska, I, I would have said, Lord, why? Just, why me? I mean, just, you don't have somebody else that can do that? But having come here when I did, my heart was ready. My mind was ready, and God had people that were ready for what we would say. See, had we come three years earlier, probably would have never got to know anybody in this room. But because we came when we did. So folks, walk with God. Trust God. He'll show you where to put every footprint. Let's stand. Praise the name of the Lord. Isn't it good to serve a God that knows our future? Yeah, there's a lot of security in that. Some people don't sleep good at night because they don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. But even the scripture says, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got its own issues. But just praise the Lord for today. So what you going to wear tomorrow? Don't know. Don't know. What you going to eat tomorrow? Have no idea. You know, all this week I've been playing chef to my wife, Italian food, all kind of stuff I've had to make for her. I told her years ago when she wasn't feeling well one time and I had to do all this stuff, you know, because, you know, guys, we're kind of in our nature to cook and clean and all that kind of stuff. I I just said to her, I said, you know, it's hard being a woman. I said that, yeah. But but the other side of that is uh, those things shouldn't just be uh, connected to women. Guys should know how to do some things, too. But praise God, of all the people on the planet God could give me, he gave me that pretty little girl, and oh, how happy I am. And then sometimes when she wants to tease me, Sister Lori, she'll say something like, of all the men on the planet God could bless me with, he gave me you, Daryl. Yeah, Yeah. That's only on some days, though. Only on some days. Come on, let's take a few moments and just let God know how grateful we are for the blessings he's brought into our lives. And whatever your future holds, we're going to believe God's going to make it beautiful and bright. Father, we love you. We thank you. Lord, 2016 is a great year so far. there been some challenges, yes, some difficulties. But, uh, Lord, we've had a better year than some other folks. So, Lord, we worship you now. We thank you. We praise you far in advance because we know 2017 is even going to be better and greater Lord, we thank you for the people that you will bring into our paths in the future that will be part of our story, who will be used to bless us, who will be used to encourage us, to strengthen us. And, Father, we thank you for the people that we will meet. You'll bring us into their lives in order for us to be a mighty man, or woman of wealth to them, to bless them, to encourage them. Help us not to be stingy, Lord. But to be ever so grateful and humbled by the fact that you have extended your grace to us when we've been so undeserving, but yet you love us, Lord. You loved us before we ever poured our love out toward you, and we thank you for that. And thank you for giving your Son to die on the cross for us. Use us in the kingdom. Let our lips be used to witness to people. Let lives be changed. Let this church be a lighthouse. Oh, God, let let people come to know your Son. Let people be gloriously baptized with the Holy Ghost, God. Let people be healed. Let people be impacted as they learn that their steps truly are ordered of you, God. Father, we praise you that as we depart from this place, but never from your presence, you'll cause your face to shine and smile upon us over and over again. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, Amen, amen, amen.